morning. Welcome to Center Church. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a guest with us today, welcome. We are really, really glad that you're here. And um, one thing that I, that I want you to know about our church, and this will kind of help you understand our DNA a little bit, is that we love to reach the lost, okay? We love to reach the lost. We're a church that loves engaging people who are close to us but far from God. Okay, we love engaging people who have no church background or who maybe were engaging in church for a while and, and then stopped engaging in church. And you might ask the question, why? why? Why do we get so fired up about doing that? And the simple answer is we love to reach the lost because Jesus loves to reach the lost. Okay, that's always a good answer, right? Because Jesus loves to reach the lost. Um, in fact, in Luke chapter five, verse 32, Jesus said this, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's what Jesus said about himself. So if like me, you fit into the category of sinner, then I have good news, Jesus came for you, okay? Jesus came for you, and we wanna be a church that just has a huge heart for reaching people who are far from God. Now, I tell you all of that because, guys, Easter is three weeks away. Can we get excited about Easter? All right, here's the deal. Easter is the Christian Super Bowl, all right? We all know this. It's our day, baby, okay? It is our day. And here's what's happened historically in our church. This has been amazing. You have invited your friends. God has changed their lives. That's what's happened. I mean, there's literally people right now, I'm not gonna point them out because it'd be embarrassing, who are now leaders in our church who came to faith in Christ because someone invited them to Easter a couple years ago, okay? Every year, God does powerful things on Easter. And so here's my, here's my request, if you, if you call this church home, would you invite two people with you to our Easter services? Okay, here's what we know statistically and anecdotally. Your friends and your family and your coworkers and the, the guy you know at Walmart grocery pickup, they are more likely to come with you to church on Easter than any other Sunday of the year. It's, it's just true. Okay, and because I'm confident that you are gonna do an awesome job and you are gonna invite all of your friends, we are gonna host three services on Easter Sunday, okay? Can we get, somebody's excited about that. We're excited about three services. So just pick up this card. This beautiful card was on your chair when you came in here. You know I didn't make it because it's beautiful, okay? And on the front, it's got the date and it's got our three times, 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11. All right, and on the back, it's got our spring fling. Okay, anybody here go to the Fall Fest last fall? Any Fall Fest people? All right, it's a lot of fun. Think Fall Fest in the spring, okay? Think uh, eggs instead of pumpkins and pastel colors instead of burnt orange. That's what it is, all right? So it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be right out here on our backyard on Saturday, April 8th. So if you know folks who have got kids, you've got, you know, your kid plays on a soccer team, man, just consider inviting them. It's gonna be a lot of fun on Saturday, right back there. And on Sunday, we're gonna have three services, 8, 9, 30, and 11. We're doing that so that every single person who comes will have a, a spot to park in and a chair to sit in, okay? Because we want your friends, we want you to have a good experience on Easter, free of distraction, so that we can focus on the life-changing message of the resurrection, okay? I'm confident that, man, we're gonna have packed services, all three of them. God has always done powerful things in our church through Easter, and I'm, I'm confident he's gonna do it again. In order for us to pull off three services, though, it's gonna take a church-wide effort, okay? It's gonna take a church-wide effort in terms of serving, because we want people to feel welcomed and cared for. We wanna care for people's kids well. We wanna help people park well. And so here's what that means. If you're currently on one of our serving teams, I just wanna ask you to just plan to serve on Easter, okay? Uh, you're gonna get an email, uh, I think tomorrow with all the different ways that you can sign up to do that. And if you're here and maybe you've never served before or maybe you served for a while, but you sort of stopped, man, I just wanna invite you to, to jump in and serve on Easter because there's really no better way to celebrate Easter than to help other people experience the good news of the gospel, okay? So Pastor Justin's gonna give you more details about all that at the end of the service, but could we just stop and could we just pray with me and ask God to, to move in power this Easter like he has in the past? Let's do that. Lord, I'm so grateful for the resurrection. I'm so grateful uh, that Lord Jesus, you died for our sins, uh, but then you rose again. And that that 
gives us courage and it gives us hope and it gives us forgiveness. And God, I think for all the ways that you've moved and changed people's lives in the past through uh, our Easter services, and I just pray that you would do it again. So God, would you give us courage and would you give us opportunities to invite those that are close to us but far from you? And we pray that you would use those invitations in a mighty way. Lord, we love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, if you have a Bible, you can meet me in Genesis chapter 33, starting in verse one. Genesis chapter 33, starting in verse one. Today, we're in the last week of a sermon series looking at the life of a man named Jacob. And if you've been with us through the sermon series, you know that much of Jacob's life has been defined by his conflict with his brother Esau, okay? His conflict with his brother Esau. Uh, the truth is, conflict is a universal experience, Right? I wonder if some, maybe you're in conflict right now. I won't ask you to raise your hand, right? Like maybe you're, maybe you're in conflict right now. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you're unresolved with and if, and if they came and sat down in your row this morning, you would have a pit in your stomach. You wouldn't be able to, be able to pay attention to a thing that I said because man, there, there she is or there he is or there they are and we're not at peace with one another. Right? I don't know if there's anybody that really likes conflict. I mean, even if you're like an eight on the Enneagram, I, I doubt that your New Year's resolution was, Josh, I'd like to have more conflict this year. You know what? I would like to be more conflict. I'd like more conflict in 2023. That's my goal. Um, no, I, I don't think any of us really enjoy conflict. And um, the truth is, conflict has a, a lot of uh, pretty significant health. Uh, uh, is pretty sig uh, significantly detrimental to our health. So one study that I found uh, said that unresolved conflict can lead to increased rates of anxiety and depression, to high blood pressure, to insomnia, hair loss, and constipation. Okay, so you know, there's that. Um, and if that, if that list isn't bad enough, here's, here's what we all know anecdotally. The negative emotions associated with the conflict you're going through often bubble over and hurt the people that you care the most about, don't they? It's like that conflict at work, you bring it home with you and you take it out on the kids and you're like, oh, I hate that I do that, right? Or that conflict you're having with your in-laws, like, man, ends up in your marriage. You know, it's like, I, I, hate, I hate that I do that. Um, I don't think any of us like conflict. I think we all have experienced uh, the detrimental effects of conflict. So my question is, why aren't we more intentional about resolving conflict, right? Why, to use the biblical phrase, why don't we seek peace and pursue it more than we do? And I think part of the answer, and it's not the whole answer, but I think part of the answer is that seeking peace is really difficult. It's intimidating, right? It's awkward, it's humbling, it requires energy and investment. And if we're really honest, and I know church is no place to be honest, but if we're really honest with ourselves, Here's, here's what's true. We just find it easier to move on. We just find it easier to move on to a new friend group or a new job or a new church or a new marriage than it is to really do the hard work of seeking peace. But guys, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, and I understand that not everybody here is a follower of Jesus, but if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, moving on should not be your first response. It should be your absolute last resort. Moving on should not be your first response. It should be your absolute last resort because God has called us to be peacemakers, to be people who seek peace and pursue it, as Psalm 34 would say. In a culture that is full of contempt and conflict, Christians are called to seek peace and pursue it. And Genesis 33 is gonna help us do that. So here's kind of the big idea of Genesis 33. Jacob experienced peace with God and it led him to seek peace with Esau. Applied to today, when you experience peace with God, it should lead you to seek peace with others as well. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through Genesis 33. I'm gonna draw out some practical principles for seeking peace. And at the end, we're gonna ask the question, where do I get the motivation to actually do it? But to understand what's going on, you need a fair amount of context because Genesis 33 is really the conclusion of all of Jacob's life. Okay, and so if you haven't been with us, I wanna try to catch you up a little bit. 
Um, so Jacob and Esau were twins. And when they were young, Jacob stole Esau's birthright and stole his blessing. And that made Esau so angry that Esau planned to kill his brother Jacob. Well, Jacob finds out about this. And so Jacob leaves home and he goes and lives with his uncle Laban for 20 years. So Jacob and Esau don't speak to each other. They don't see each other for 20 years. They're totally estranged. But after 20 years, God called Jacob to return home and to face his brother Esau. But as you might be, Jacob was very afraid to do so. He was full of anxiety and fear. Well, the night before this big confrontation, God appeared to Jacob. And Jacob emerged from his encounter with God as a totally new man with a totally new name. That's what Pastor Rich preached about last week. So you see, Jacob experienced a new level of peace with God, which changed how he approached his brother. You see, he experienced peace with God, and that led him to seek peace with Esau. And by looking at how Jacob sought peace with Esau, we can learn how we can seek peace with other people today. Okay, so look at verse one with me. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. I mean, how would you feel if you're going to meet your murderous brother and you see him come over the horizon with 400 military-aged men on animals? You might be a little concerned, right? You're like, I'm not sure this is gonna end well. All right, so that word is a word of causation. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. All right, why would you bring 400 men with you to meet your brother? Well, the obvious answer seems to be you plan to attack him, right? I mean, like the last thing we knew about Esau was he was like, I'm gonna kill him the first chance that I get. And now we see Esau and he comes over the horizon. He doesn't have like a couple of guys with him. He's got a battalion of soldiers, all right? And so it seems that Esau is planning to do Jacob harm. And that's what Jacob seems to believe as well. Do you see that word so in verse one? That's a word of causation. That means Jacob saw these men coming and decided he had to do something about it. So he divided his family up into different groups and he figured, okay, if Esau attacks me, some of these groups will get attacked, but some of them might be able to escape, okay? It's not a good plan, but it's the best plan that he had, all right? It's like, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I don't have the strength to withstand my brother, so I'll just divide my family up and, and hopefully uh, we'll be okay. But here's what I want you to consider. Consider how much courage it took for Jacob to keep walking. I mean, what would you do? I would turn around and run as fast as I could. I mean, you might catch me, but I'm gonna make you chase me, you know? And yet that's not what he does. Jacob continues walking straight towards, man, his brother, straight towards the conflict, straight towards the person he needs to seek peace with. And it leads to our first principle. Seeking peace requires courage. Seeking peace requires courage. The closer you get to the person you're in conflict with, the more courage it requires. And haven't you experienced that? I mean, Jacob saw Esau coming and he was afraid. What's, what's Esau gonna do? Is Esau gonna attack me? Is Esau gonna harm me? Is Esau gonna shame me in front of my family? And seeking peace is scary because you don't know how the other person is gonna respond. And what if they lash out? Man, what, what, if, what if this makes things worse? What if they make me feel weak and stupid? And that's, that's where Jacob was. And yet, Jacob keeps going forward. Now, up to this point in Jacob's life, his pattern had been to run from conflict. And maybe that's your, your pattern as well. And yet, what we see in Jacob is he, he keeps going towards the conflict even though he's very afraid. Now, why is that? Well, I think there's two reasons. I think the first reason is that he seemed to have genuine faith that God was with him and would protect him. And that came from his experience the night before. God promised to be with him. God sent him back. God promised to establish him in the land. And so he was trusting by faith man, that God was gonna protect him. I think that's the first reason. I think the second reason that he's walking to meet Esau is he had no other choices. 
If you were here last week, you know that God touched Jacob's hip and injured him. So Jacob couldn't run, Jacob couldn't walk. All Jacob could do was limp. He literally had no other choice. It's not like he was gonna get away, so he just had to limp towards his brother and hope that God would provide for him. You see, Jacob demonstrates both courage and desperation, both courage and resolve to address the conflict. And the truth is, you and I need both of those things if we're gonna seek peace in our relationships. You need to have courage that comes from knowing that God is with you and that God is for you and that as you seek peace, God is going to work on your behalf. But you also need the resolve to, man, just to take conflict head on, to not avoid it and to push it off and to keep trying to run from it. Because the truth is, when we run from conflict, we often extend the amount of damage it does in our lives. You've ever experienced that? It reminds me of a, a famous illustration about the difference between cows and buffalo in Colorado, okay? Stay with me. All right, so here's the deal. There, you know, Colorado, on the west side of Colorado, there's the Rocky Mountains. So what will happen is storms will come over the Rocky Mountains. They'll go way up in the air. So you can see them billowing for like miles away. And then they'll come thundering down the Rocky Mountains and the, the rest of Colorado is flat. It's like the plains of Kansas. And so what'll happen is buffalo and cows will both be out in the field and they'll see these storms coming up over the Rocky Mountains. But it's fascinating. They respond in very different ways. The cows turn away from the storm and try to outrun it. So they start running east, but they're cows. And the storm inevitably catches them. And because the cows are running in the direction of the storm, do you know what they do? They actually maximize the amount of time that they're in the storm. Because they're running in the direction of the storm, they're running with it. They just stay in it longer and longer and longer. So by trying to avoid it, they actually maximize the amount of time they're in it. Now contrast that with the buffalo. The buffalo are eight on the Enneagram. That's what they are. All right, and so they see the storm coming and they're like, we're charging this thing. You're like, let's go storm. And so they just, they take off and they charge at the storm. So here's what happens. The storm's moving east, the buffalo's charging west. So they cross and the buffalo's out of the storm like super quick. By taking the storm head on, they actually minimize the amount of time that they're in it. Here's the principle, guys. Don't be a cow. Don't be a cow. Okay, be the buffalo, all right? When you, when you see conflict and you know it's there and you see that person and you're like, oh, you feel in the gut, just, just have the conversation, right? Just have the conversation because oftentimes we maximize the amount of pain and emotional stress and exhaustion in conflict because we just won't deal with it and it's eventually gonna come up. Like the storm's eventually gonna catch you. And so my question is, is there a conflict that you've been avoiding that you need to start addressing? Is there a person, maybe at work, maybe at church, maybe in your family, you just need to have the conversation with. Here's what most biblical counselors will tell you. If you will deal with conflict early, you'll never have to see me. That's what most biblical counselors will tell you. They'll say, usually what happens in a marriage or in a family or in some sort of relationship is small conflict has gone unresolved for years and it's gotten more complicated and more messy and more nuanced. So by the time that the person comes to the counselor, he's like, this is gonna take years and thousands of dollars to get all this worked out. But if early on, we'll just kind of go towards it and extend the grace of God and seek resolution, man, then we can often and avoid a lot of the hardship that comes with conflict, all right? So, man, that's the question. Is there a conflict that you've been avoiding that you need to address? All right, verse three. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So after breaking his family up into groups, Jacob went ahead of them to go meet Esau. And this is actually a picture of Jacob's spiritual development. So formerly, Jacob had used other people to protect himself, but in this moment, he puts himself out front in order to give his family a greater chance of being protected. And as he approached his brother Esau, he bowed to the ground, which in that day was a, a symbol and a demonstration of humility. Okay, and it's important to remember that, that both Jacob and Esau were very wealthy, powerful people. Okay, they were the heads of large households. They had lots of employees. They had livestock. I mean, these were pretty influential people in their own right. 
So think about uh, two CEOs that are meeting for the first time to discuss a merger, right? Neither of them would be eager to give ground to the other, right? In fact, both CEOs would be trying to kind of show, no, actually, we, we're in the better position. We have more power. Like, you're not trying to show humility to one another. You're trying to show strength. Well, that's what you would expect of Jacob and Esau, kind of based on their status. And yet that's not what Jacob does. Jacob goes out to his brother and he bows. But he doesn't bow one time. What's the text say? He bows seven times. Now, why does he bow seven times? Because in the Bible, seven is the number of completion. So if you wanted to show that you were really serious about something, you would do it seven times. The phrase that we might use to do today is 100%. So what we see from this instance is that Jacob is 100% humble before his brother Esau. Before he even gets to the confrontation, he's bowing, he's humbling, he's owning his part of the conflict, which leads to the second principle. Seeking peace requires humility. Seeking peace requires humility. Jacob had to face up to his faults. He had to admit he had wronged and cheated his brother, and he symbolized that by bowing seven times. Guys, if you're gonna seek peace in your relationships, you're gonna have to lead with humility, just like Jacob did. You're gonna have to take ownership for the ways that you've contributed to the conflict that you're in. Now, that's very difficult to do because we easily see sin in other people, but we have a very hard time seeing sin in ourselves. Man, the sin of others seems very large and significant to us, but the, but the sin in our life seems very small and minimal. If you are married, you can attest to that, right? Like, if you ever wanna know what your flaws are, just ask your spouse. And in Matthew chapter seven, Jesus told a famous illustration about this very thing. He said, why do you see the speck of dust in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log which is in your own? He said, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So applied to conflict, that means we should take ownership for our part in a conflict before asking other people to take ownership for theirs. We should say, I'm sorry, first. Now, as a quick side note, the very best way to ruin an apology is to use one of three words. You ready? If, but, and maybe, okay? Uh, I'm sorry if I've done something to upset you which means I don't think I've actually done anything you should be upset about. Uh, maybe I could have listened better. You know, the universe has not decided yet if I should have, but maybe there's some reality where I didn't listen well. Or I'm sorry, but you really upset me. I'm sorry, but I was tired. I'm sorry, but I was hungry. I'm sorry, but you made me really mad. As Pastor Tony Evans once said, if it contains an if, it ain't a confession. If it contains an if, it ain't a confession. So here's the thing, guys. Leading with humility is very difficult to do especially if you felt wronged or hurt by the other person. But if you do it, it will often trigger the golden result. The golden result. The golden result is the corollary to the golden rule. The golden result says that people will usually treat you as you treat them. So if you blame them, they will probably blame you in return. But if you say, I was wrong, oftentimes the response will be, I was wrong too. Um, I've seen this play out many, many times in my marriage, okay? So Meredith and I will get into an argument about something, I'm sure, which is like 95% my fault most of the time. Uh, we'll get into an argument, we'll get into a fight, and we'll get all upset and angry with one another. And then we will descend into what I refer to as the ice age. Everybody in the ice age? The ice age is like, everybody's icing everybody out, right? It's like, no one's talking, everybody's mad, you're making no progress. I hate the ice age. It's my least favorite part of conflict. All right, and here's what I've learned through experience over the years. The key to getting out of the ice age is one person has to genuinely say, I'm sorry. And if one person will say it, almost immediately the temperature in the room will change. And it was every time the other person is like, I, I'm sorry too. And now all of a sudden you can start making progress. But until one person is willing to genuinely say, I'm sorry, not with if, not with maybe, not with but, but genuinely say, I'm sorry, man, you will stay in the ice age. 
Okay? And so when you lead with humility, you give your chance or you give yourself a chance to seek peace. But here's the truth. One of the things that makes seeking peace so scary is you don't know how the other person is going to respond. You might lead with humility and you might be led might be met with contempt. You you might lead by saying, "Hey, I'm sorry" and owning your sin, and the other person may not own their sin. And that can be really really difficult. And that can be the moment where you're like, "See, this isn't worth it. This isn't worth the time. I'm not doing this again." But in that moment, here's what it's really important to understand. If you're a Christian, you've still been faithful. You see, every time you seek peace, you will not, in, you, you will not result in pragmatic results, but it will result in God being glorified. So in that moment, when it doesn't go well, you have to remind yourself, the primary reason I'm doing this is not so that my life gets easier, but it's because God has called me to be a person who seeks peace and pursue it, and so I'm gonna trust him and do that. And you can trust Matthew chapter five, where Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. That as you devote yourself to seeking peace as God has called you to, man, you can entrust him to bless you in the situation. All right, so seeking peace won't always result in pragmatic results, but it will always result in God being glorified. All right, here's verse four. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. Did Jacob's humility trigger the golden result in Esau? We don't know for sure, but that seems to be the case. I mean, Esau went from leading an army to hugging his brother, okay? This is not what Jacob expected. Verse five. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, who are these with you? This is the very first time Esau has seen his extended family. He doesn't know who they are. Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. So this is the first time that Esau has ever seen his nephews, his niece, or his sisters-in-law. Now, he should only have one sister-in-law. It shouldn't be sisters-in-law, but bear with him, okay? This is, this is the first time he's ever met him. And think about what a tragedy that is. Jacob and Esau were twins. They didn't have any other family. And yet, because of this unresolved conflict, Esau had never met his nieces, had never met his nephews, had never met his sister-in-law. Jacob had never met any of Esau's family. For two decades, they had been estranged because of this conflict. You see, guys, the truth is there is a cost to seeking peace. It requires courage. It requires awkwardness. It requires energy but there's also a, pee, a cost to not seeking peace. And sometimes the cost to not seeking peace ends up being even higher than the cost of seeking peace. I mean, think about it. How many memories have been left unmade because of conflict? How many holidays have been ruined? How many hours of sleep have you lost? How many marriages have failed? Man, because people were unwilling to seek peace. There's a cost to seeking peace, but there's also a cost to not seeking it, a cost which Jacob and Esau paid for 20 years. Verse eight, Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother, keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus, he urged him and he took it. So the, the company that Esau is referring to are the gifts and the messengers that Jacob sent ahead to him. He, he did it mostly in uh, chapter 32. Um, and it, it's kind of a funny passage because it feels like me and my dad arguing about who's gonna pay for dinner. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I'm gonna pay for it, I'm gonna pay for it, the whole thing. Um, well, here's what's going on. Uh, Middle Eastern custom then, and actually today, dictates that um, when someone receives a gift, it's appropriate and polite to at first uh, reject the gift. So here's how it goes. The, the giver gives the gift and the recipient says, oh, no, 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 no. And then the giver insists, and then the recipient accepts. 
Okay, so that's, that's what actually still happens today, and that's what's going on probably here with, with Jacob and Esau. Um, but it's important to notice the words that Jacob used. You see in verse 11, he said, except my blessing, except my blessing. Now, what did Jacob steal from Esau in Genesis 27? He stole Esau's blessing. You see, now Jacob is offering to restore part of what he stole, which leads to our third principle. Seeking peace may include restitution. Seeking peace may include restitution. You see, within conflict, there are usually material issues and personal issues. Material issues are the thing. Personal issues are the thing under the thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like material issues are, where should we go to dinner tonight? How much money should we be spending on eating out? I don't know, whose job is it to do the dishes? That's just the thing. The personal issues are the thing under the thing. You're selfish, you're inconsiderate, you're controlling, you know, you don't appreciate me, right? What usually happens is there's a thing that's actually not that big of a deal and it triggers the deeper things which become a big deal, all right? Let me give you another example from marriage. I'm full of lots of bad marriage examples today. All right, so when Meredith and I uh, were planning our wedding, we got into a fight about the color of my undershirt, okay? I wanted to wear white. She wanted me to wear ivory. Now, you may know that white and ivory are nearly indistinguishable from one another. And yet, this became a huge fight. Okay, why did this become a huge fight? Was it really about the shirt color? No, it was really about, man, who gets to make decisions about this wedding? Right? And, and when we want different things, how do we decide which one we go with? The thing was the shirt color. The thing under the thing were personal issues in our marriage about serving one another and, and putting one another's interests above our own. Okay? And you, you maybe have experienced that. Like maybe you've gotten into a huge fight with a coworker, right? Or a huge fight with your roommate or a huge fight with a spouse or, or with a parent or an in-law over something which is not that big of a deal and yet it triggers all the things that are a big deal, Right? That's a material issue triggering a personal issue. Now, did Jacob and Esau have personal issues? Yes. They were competitive. They were unkind to one another. Uh, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. Those are big personal issues, okay? Did they have material issues? Yes. Jacob stole from Esau. So here's what Jacob does. As he's seeking peace, he offered restitution for the material issue as as a way of opening the door to work on the personal issue. Hey, Esau, I can't take back what I did, but I can give you this generous gift out of my blessing as a way to say, hey, I'm sorry, and I I wanna offer you some restitution, and then that opened the door to work on the personal issues. So it could be for you, as you're seeking peace with someone, there might be a material issue that you can concede or that you can resolve as a means to making progress on the personal issues, man, just like Jacob did. So sometimes seeking peace can include restitution. Our verse 12, Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord and see her. So Esau said, let me leave you with some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of that place is called Succoth, and it's a very difficult place to sell real estate. Okay, so you'll get that later. So um, (laughs) Esau wanted everyone to travel together, okay? But Jacob was like, hey, man, like, I've got young kids. I've got all these flocks. Like, I can't move as fast as you. So he says, no, no, you go ahead on. You go back to Seir, and I'll, I'll follow after you. And 
Actually, Jacob doesn't end up settling in Seir, and we're told in Genesis 36, it's because the two men had so much livestock that one place couldn't support all the livestock. So he actually settles in, in Succoth, okay? Uh, but, but what I want us to see in this picture is that Jacob and Esau made peace, but they didn't end up living together, okay? They made peace, but they didn't end up living together, which leads to our last principle. Being at peace and being in community are different. Being at peace and being in community are different. Okay, so what you have in this interaction, I think, is an illustration of two men in different stages of life. Esau could move fast. Jacob couldn't. Jacob had women and children to care for. Esau didn't. Esau wanted to stay together, but their different life stages just didn't allow it. Sometimes what we perceive as conflict is actually just life stage misalignment. It's not that the other person doesn't value you. It's not that they don't care about you. It's just that they've entered into a different life stage than you're in. So for example, I've seen this happen in dating a fair amount. Uh, you've got a friend. You guys spend a lot of time together. She starts dating a, a godly guy. All of a sudden, a, a chunk of her time is devoted to that relationship, rightly so. But if you're not careful, you can start to feel what? Not valued. Oh, she doesn't care about me anymore. We don't, we don't talk like we used to. And if, and if you're not careful, you, know, you can start to think in your head, oh, they're obsessed with each other. All they do is spend time together. This isn't healthy. And if you're really spiritual, you share that as a prayer request. We call that gossip. You laugh because it's happened, right? Now, here's the question. Is all that untrue? Are they really unhealthy? Maybe. They could be. Or it could simply be that you're just going through the growing pains of one of your friends entering into a different life stage. You see, sometimes we personalize things that are not personal, and we create unnecessary conflict. But relationally wise people simply allow for life stage adjustment. Okay, so Jacob and Esau are in different life stages. But here's the thing that I really want us to see. Being at peace and being in community are distinct and different things. Jacob and Esau made peace. They did not live in the same place. And that may be the same for you. There could be somebody in our church right now. There could be somebody in your family. There could be somebody at work that you're in conflict with. And you need to seek peace with them. That doesn't automatically mean that you're going to end up in a really close relationship with them. It might, but it might not. So why are, why are, what are some of the reasons that you may not end up in community with a person just like Jacob and Esau? Well, it could be practical. That's what it was for these brothers. They just couldn't live together. They had too much livestock, right? So maybe you just have too much livestock and so does your neighbor and you can't, you know, you can't work it out. Um, but seriously, think about it practically. Maybe um, you were friends with somebody, you had a falling out, okay? But now you've reconciled and you've made peace, but you know, you're no longer in the same program at school or you know, now she's married and you're not or now he has you know, he has kids and you don't, or uh, you've changed jobs, or you live in different places, or the, the things that just kind of gave you commonality poor, before are, are no longer present. That's okay. You, you can be at peace and not necessarily be in community with that person again. So it might be practical. Another reason, it might be spiritual. So let's say, uh, you know, you have a conflict with somebody, but you seek peace, you resolve it. Um, but since then, you've gotten really serious about your relationship with Christ and the other person hasn't. Well, that's gonna have an impact on your relationship. You're heading in different directions spiritually, and so your relationship is not gonna be the same as it was before, so it might be spiritual. Um, it could also be an issue of safety. So maybe, maybe the person uh, threatened you or, or even abused you, and, and they've repented of that, and they've asked your forgiveness, and you've extended it, but it could still be wise to maintain strong boundaries to, to protect your safety. So you could be at peace without being in community with that person. Okay, so here's what we see in Jacob and Esau's life. They, they make peace, but they don't end up living in the same place. They don't end up in community. So if, if you've been with us through the Jacob series, you know that, that most of his life has been characterized by some form of conflict, whether it was with Esau or with his dad or with his uncle. 
But after 20 years, he reconciled with his brother and he settled his family back in the promised land. Jacob experienced peace with God and it led him to seek peace with Esau. And what we've said is that by application, when we experience peace with God, we should seek peace with other people as well. But seeking peace is really hard. It is. It requires humility. It requires awkwardness. It requires courage and intentionality. So why bother with it? I mean, why not just ignore people? Why not just ghost people? Why not just move on? That's what everybody else does. Well, I wanna share three brief motivations. And if you're here and you're Christian today, and I know not everybody is, but if you're here and you're Christian today, three motivations that you have from scripture and to do the hard work of seeking peace. Here's number one. We should seek peace because it is our calling. We should seek peace because it is our calling. We live in a world that is desperate for peace, but lacks the resources to achieve it. We live in a world that is desperate for peace, but lacks the resources to achieve it. Our society is becoming more polarized, not less. Divorce is becoming more common, not less. Fractured, or families are becoming more fractured, not less. And into this cultural moment, God has called his people to be peacemakers, to be people who seek peace and pursue it because they know a God who sought peace with them. And when we do that in the world, no matter how other people respond, we glorify God. Because all I mean, when we say the word glorify God, all that means is we take an aspect of God's character and we make it public in the world. And when we go after peace and we pursue it, man, we glorify him because we make his character known to those around us. So not only has God given us the calling of being peacemakers, he's also given us the resources to do it. Because here's what the gospel message of Jesus Christ says about me, you ready? It says that I am way more sinful than I want to admit. But at the same time, I'm more deeply loved than I ever hoped far more sinful than I want to admit, and yet far more deeply loved than I ever hoped. Friends, that message sends me into conflict with both extraordinary humility and remarkable security. It empowers me to say, I'm sorry, you're right. I apologize, will you forgive me? I don't have to put if or but or maybe because I'm like, man, the gospel says something way worse about me than you're currently saying about me. And yet at the same time, it fills me with extraordinary security that no matter how this person responds, I am loved and valued and accepted by the one person who really matters. So if you're here and you're a Christian, one of the reasons that you should seek peace is because it is a high calling that God has given you in this cultural moment and in the gospel, you have the resources to actually achieve it. Here's the second reason. We should seek peace because it helps us reach the lost. We should seek peace because it helps us reach non-Christians. Our society is full of conflict and contempt. But when the church is full of honor and peace, It is a compelling community to those around us. Like Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, it's like a city set on a hill that draws people to it because of the quality of the life within it. In John chapter 13, Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Did you notice that's an if then statement? Jesus said, if you have love for one another, then all people will see that you are my disciples. It's not a guarantee. It's not automatic. It's if then. That means our public witness in the world is closely tied to how we relate to one another. Our public witness in the world, how believable the gospel is to other people, is closely tied to how we relate to one another in the church. I know of one church, and this church probably represents many churches, uh, that once had a thriving ministry. I mean, they were reaching people and making disciples. But over the last couple of years, they've experienced a lot of turmoil, a, a, lot, of, a lot of turnover, and, and things have kind of grinded to a halt for their mission. So what happened? Conflict. Conflict. For years, there's kind of unresolved conflict, tension sort of simmering under the surface, and then eventually it bubbled over into full-scale division. 
And so the, the mission has kind of ground to a halt. They're sort of having to do internal work so that hopefully one day they can get back to the ministry of making disciples. You see, the truth is our effectiveness as a church is tied to our unity as a church. And our unity as a church is tied to our commitment to seeking peace with one another. So if you wanna see the gospel go forward in this community and around the world, if you, wanna, if you wanna see God move in a powerful way in our community, then we need to be devoted to the unity of our church. And if you wanna be devoted to the unity of our church, then you need to be devoted to seeking peace in our church. And what that means practically is you need to go and you need to resolve things with that girl in your missional community. And you need to repent of gossiping. And you need to stop harboring bitterness. And you need to stop being jealous. Right? Most of the time, what I want is I want the big, exciting God move, God revive, God reform, God change. But it's like, man, do I wanna do the little hard work of like, God change me. And God reconcile this relationship. And God help me be willing to fight for peace in my little group of people. You see, a unified church is not just something that happens. A unified church is a result of a bunch of unified people. Francis Schaeffer was one of the greatest Christian thinkers of the 20th century. He said this, we must never forget that the final apologetic or proof which Jesus gave is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. Practically, that means the most powerful evangelistic tool we have is not the sermons I preach, it's the love that you express towards one another. It's the love that we express towards one another. So we should seek peace because it helps us reach the lost. Finally, here's number three, our third motivation. We should seek peace because we've received peace. We should seek peace because we've received peace. You know, we've talked at length about seeking peace with other people, but before we can seek peace with others, we need to have peace with God. And the truth is, peace with God doesn't come automatically. You know why? Because we've broken our relationship with God. We've alienated him through our choices. We've spurned him. We've treated his glory and his purposes as an afterthought in our lives. We have treated God far worse than Jacob treated Esau. And as a result, God's just wrath abides upon us. That's the bad news. The good news of the scriptures is that God is a peacemaker. That God is a peacemaker. That even though he is 100% innocent in our conflict, he took the initiative to make peace with us through the work of Jesus Christ. And the peacemaking efforts of Jacob point us forward in a beautiful way to the peacemaking efforts of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We said that it took great courage for Jacob to face Esau. Did it take courage for Jesus to seek peace with us? It did. It took the courage to face 33 years of poverty, oppression, and misunderstanding. It took courage to face vitriolic enemies from both sides of society. It took courage to face a false trial on a Roman cross. It took Jesus an enormous amount of courage to seek peace with us. We said that it took Jacob humility to, to face his brother Esau, did it take Jesus' humility to seek peace with us? Uh, it took an enormous amount of humility. Colossians chapter one tells us that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, that by him and through him and for him all things were created and that in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And yet, Jesus Christ took on flesh. He took on humanity. He came to the world. He made himself weak. He made himself betrayable. He made himself killable. He humbled himself to the point of death. Philippians 2 tells us even death on a cross. Why? Why? So you and I, that we have broken our peace with God, that we've alienated ourselves from him, that we deserve his just wrath, instead could be reconciled. 
Instead, we could be brought into the family. Instead, we could be forgiven of our sins and we could have an eternal inheritance. Romans chapter five, verse one, one of the most powerful gospel passages in the whole scripture say this. Therefore, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So much of Jacob's life was defined by conflict. A conflict with his brother, conflict with his father, conflict with his uncle. He broke so many relationships because he simply didn't trust the Lord. He felt like he had to get his. He felt like he had to take care of number one. He didn't feel like he could trust in God's promises. He felt like he had to strive to earn it. And there's a wake of broken relationships in his midst. And that finally changed when he experienced peace with God through reconciliation. And he, and he laid his deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet and rested in him alone, gracious and complete. Jacob received peace with God and it led him to seek peace with Esau. You're here and you've received peace with God through the work of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, then it should motivate you to seek peace with others as well. Not because it's easy, because it's not. And not because it's convenient, because it's not. But because the unity of the church and the, mission, and the effectiveness of the mission and the glory of Christ is worth it. And so I wanna invite you to bow your heads with me. And I just wanna give you a moment here to pray. And just ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind the name or the face of anyone that you need to seek peace with. It might be a family member, it might be a classmate, coworker, it might be somebody here in the church. But as the Holy Spirit brings that person to mind, I just wanna encourage you to ask him to give you courage to seek peace and to pursue it. Not because you know how it's gonna turn out, not because it'll even end well, but because God is worthy of it and because it's part of your calling. Holy Spirit, in this moment, would you lead us to be peacemakers? Would you lead us to eagerly pursue the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? In response to the work of Christ, would you help us to be people who seek peace and pursue it in our families, in our friendships, in our church, in our world? And would you give us the courage that it's gonna take to do that? We love you. We need you. And pray all these things in Jesus.